Welcome everyone to another week with your hosts Mordechai Weinberger and Harav Nissen. What an honor and what a schuss to be here. As always, I'd just like to share with you a couple of little policies that we have. The first one is, I should actually first announce the number for those of you that like to call up and ask your question. The number is 718-683-5858-718-683-5858. Now, policy number one is to be aware this is a family program. That means that there are children ages eight and above listening. The second request is, and we're dividing into two parts, if you're under the age of 18, first, just have your parents know that you're listening to this program and they get permission for that. We want your parents being okay that you're listening to it because some parents feel mental health, maybe younger kids shouldn't be listening, so just get the And along those lines, if you want to ask a question, please be aware that we need to uh, we need to have your parents' permission to call up. And the last little request is for us to recognize that once you ask your question, it will not be removed because it's a public forum. At the same time, just for everyone to please be aware that this is an awareness-based program, so questions under the age of eight, like parenting workshops, we're not able to do. And, Harav Nissen, let's go to our first caller. This is key. Mrs. K, you're on with Mordechai and Harav Nissen. Hi. Uh, first of all, I want to tell you thank you for your books. I oh, gave presents so for Yontef. I gave a form for my daughter's uh, presents for Yontef. And wow, they enjoyed it very well. so nice. And my daughter told me, I, you have to give me commission. So, but thank you. I don't need a commission, but thank you very wow, much. Wow, I'll give you commission. <laughs> I'll give you a thank you. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Thank you. Okay, now I have a question. What is the difference from uh, what they're calling an emotional imbalance or a nervous breakdown? Well, to be honest with you, both of them aren't clinical words. It means they're not words that licensed therapists uses. So who is using it? People. People? Yeah. So if the, 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 the therapist, he said he's a licensed therapist, he said he's an imbalance, um, uh, uh, emotional imbalance. Uh, what, uh, what he was saying only once, like a, a word. I would have no idea what that means. So professionals use terms of diagnosis, like uh -huh. bipolar, depression, major depressive disorder, schizophrenia, schizoid personality disorder, borderline personality disorder, anxiety, general anxiety disorder, social phobia. Uh -huh. And we go through the similar levels. So we use terms that when you use it, there's a diagnosis code. Uh -huh. Now, there are people that can use concepts of, look, they're emotionally not healthy, but we don't know what that means. Emotionally, they're not balanced, but we don't know if that's on a chemical level, medication-wise. Mm -hmm. There are so many different levels that we're just, I don't know what those words mean. So they're words to explain something, but they're not clinical words. Uh-huh, I see. But not professional. No, the person could be professional, but they might be explaining it to a non-professional. I understand. Yeah, sure. So it is, uh-huh. Okay. Fine. Yeah. Okay. Sure, All but right. let's, let's even discuss those two words. Would you like to discuss them? Yeah, yeah, sure, minutes? sure. Yeah. Hold on one second, please. Sorry, one of my kids have picked up the line. Hello? Yeah. Okay. Great. Sorry, sound like there was a phone that picked up in the background. 
Okay, so let's go through those two words. Yeah, okay. So w which are the two words, the two names that you used? The second one was uh, no, so a nervous they were breakdown. Saying emo um, emotional imbalance. Good. Imbalance. Let's go into the words a nervous breakdown. There is no okay. clinical word for 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 a nervous breakdown. But in the from world, since I am yeah. from, I've heard that many times. Right. Do you know what we refer when we say um, uh, nervous breakdown? Yeah. What What do you think it means when we say that? I, I tell you, you see, when I grew up, my parents was in the in the war, right? So yeah. they used to have a lot of depression, whatever. So they used to say, oh, she had a nervous breakdown. Mm -hmm. You know this, I'm going back a long time ago, but now sure. we, I, I don't know. But still, the, in our home world, they're still calling it a nervous breakdown. Yeah. yeah. So a nervous breakdown, generally what we mean is when there was so much pressure and the person didn't get help yeah. and they didn't get better and got so bad that they still pushed themselves to do and to do, that the mind says, like the, like the car said, that's it, I can't drive anymore, the car shuts down. Okay. And then when the mind can have a nervous breakdown, now they could sometimes be yelling, screaming. They could be severely depressed. Their mm -hmm. brain could be affected sometimes for a very long time. Right. So that is when we use the term a nervous breakdown, the from world. In mm -hmm. the professional term, they usually use the term as a bipolar episode, a manic episode, mm -hmm. okay. schizophrenia, things like that. But it comes out as the word is like from the same family. That's right. And it's very not true. I know someone that they try to use words, oh, take your pills and go. Like, like people use words that don't exist today. Today you could take medication and just helps with stress and anxiety. And it's not the big stuff that people used to say like, oh, if someone is whatever. Uh -huh. So no. people still use old terms, but as therapy is getting more aware, as people are getting healthier, as people are starting to understand that if someone has a bipolar, you can deal with it with medication. The saying is changing. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. Okay. Here, what do you say to this? You, you, know, better, you know better than me that uh, these terms, I really don't, uh, you know. <laughs> these uh, are Hamish words. There are no real terms for this. No, I don't mm -hmm. think so. Okay, anyway, thank you very much for all you do. And we enjoy your show. Okay, yeah. so all the best. Thank you. Okay, good night. Okay, bye. Sure, okay. you're welcome. Thank you for calling up. So brave of you. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. And to share with everyone the number to call up to ask your question is 718 718-683-5858. Um, right now, because we have some text, I don't know if you want to... Yeah, I was trying to read the, the text that you sent me. Let's see, it's over here, a longer text. Let's read it. I look forward to your radio shows each week. I have a question. As a child, I really enjoyed the chewing sound when someone would eat anything crunchy, like apples, nuts, peppers. Now that my children are older, and when I have guests over for a meal, I get annoyed hearing the noise from them eating the food. I know they are all enjoying the food, and... Oh, sorry, the no, I know they are all enjoying the food. What could this be that bothers me? I feel I can't sit with the noise, and I get up from the table, and I go to the kitchen or to another room. Thank you in advance. And I would really ask you if you can please call up with your question. 
because we don't know what's going on with you. I could make several guesses, but I don't like guessing. And therefore, when someone calls up the question, we can develop the question and see, is this it? If not, then help you develop what happened. Let's go ahead and something else, another message someone sent. Speaking of nervous breakdowns, is there a turning point where the person goes from normal to no longer normal? If yes, with a proper intervention, can it be stopped? And if it's tracks before it becomes so big? Absolutely yes. So yes, the answer is definitely yes. Now, both people have a certain amount of pressure and at a certain level, and I want people to realize it doesn't change like over a day, one night, two days. We're talking about you see the severe pressure for several months, even years. The brain is a very powerful machine that it could be under severe pressure for a while, for a long time, but you see the warning signs. And if you don't deal with it, then yes, they can go from being healthy to being not healthy. I don't like the words normal, not normal. I don't know what those words mean. But can go where you see that they are functioning to where they start speaking very funny that they're not appearing to be functioning. And the next point is, can it be stopped in its tracks? most of the time. But again, once the brain starts showing, just think of anything else. Like when something starts showing the signs of cracking, many times you can catch it right away, but sometimes you might not notice and it might be too far or too hard. Or do you got to then go to the right therapist or to the right doctor, to the right medication. Sometimes when it starts cracking, and that's when people start doing what they should have done the first step, which might not be enough at this point. So therefore, the general answer is generally yes, things can be stopped in its track and it could be done much better, but sometimes, unfortunately, they're still not dealing with it correctly. And in those cases, it gets much worse before it gets better, unfortunately. And now we are going to Mrs. H. Mrs. H, you're on with Mordechai and Harav Nissen, and I'd like to remind everyone the number to call up, 718-683-5858. 718-683-5858. Ms. H., you're on with Mordechai and Harav Nissen. Hello. How are you? Baruch Hashem, fantastic. That's good. Um, first, I want to thank you for such an amazing line. You're welcome. Um, where you help so many people out, Klal Yisrael. And, and here's my question. So sure. I have this very close friend. And I'm extremely close to her. So my question is, why, whatever she does for me, she really goes out of her way. She's like my best friend. My question is, why do I still feel this tiny piece of hurt? And if I don't talk to her, I feel like my day goes wrong. And I can't live without her. What can I do to prevent this feeling from happening? Well, first we have to understand the feeling. What do you think is the feeling? I don't know. I feel like I have such an urge to talk to her. Why is the urge? What does she have that you feel good when you're with her? She has very good midas, obviously, and she's very nice and very kind to me. And I don't feel like anyone else can replace her. Mm-hmm. So why do well, I again, feel Let me do it again. What do you need? What are you getting from her that you're not getting from others? Um, she shares stuff with me, like personal stuff, and just like Excellent. I will tell her anything. Now let's go. So is this the first person that you have a relationship with? 
Yes. That you have such a that's right. So that's exactly the issue. Now, how would you feel if you would have three, four of them, such good friends? Let's even say two of them. I I wouldn't. That's my problem because I can't like function without her, and it's a problem because it's not a healthy relationship. Now, let me ask the question again. How would you feel if you would learn the skill and have two more good friends like that? I would love to, but I don't. Now, that would be your your exercise. How can you start learning to connect to others? So this is also my problem. My problem is that I feel like I can't connect, connect clearly with others because because no one is as good as her. I don't know why, this, why I constantly have this feeling. Okay. So let's create an awareness instead of telling you what to do, because we can't tell you what to do. Right. That's, not the, right. that's not this workshop, this program. So what I would be recommending to you is to recognize that you're a very healthy adult, right. and you have one best friend that you're open to when you share, and therefore if you only have one outlet, it makes sense to focus on that one place. And that's the positives of having that one place. And the negatives, the cons of having that is, you're going to be completely dependent on her. You're going to need to speak to her. You're going to be thinking about only her. You're not going to be able to connect to others because no one, you can't develop a relationship till it's going to get to that close friendship because I have her already, so why should I go to anyone else? And then right. the next next negative part is Chassel If the relationship on her part, she ever decides to start passing or moving on to someone else, you, Chas can be completely lost. Right. So, so I now, feel like she's my life. How can I... That's right. So how can you? you? That's already needing to speak to someone one-on-one. Right. Okay. And but also, we've created um, the awareness why it's so important to have more than one best friend. And how can I know if she's like a true friend? She, she constantly tells me that she loves me. I also love well, her. Well, let's understand something. Why? why you're only doubting that because you have no one else. That's part I have, of... I have other friends. It's not that. But no, you don't. Close. Not like her. No, not like yes. her. And that's why you doubt it. <gasps> what happens if she's not my best friend? How will I manage? How do I know she really likes it? Because you're always afraid exactly. of losing her. Exactly. That's, that's my question. So, so that's why I'm my living answer with to you feeling. is I'm not answering your question what you want to hear. I'm answering what you need to hear. And that is you need to develop the skill of having one or two other good friends. Right. Mm-hmm. So, Excellent. So what, what can I do to make this um, relationship healthy? Like, I feel make I, more I can't friends. go on Which without it. I hearing? Watch this. Make more friends. Okay. Don't focus on this relationship. Make more friends. Watch this again. And, and What's the answer? So I also have another question. Why, why do I feel very down when I don't talk to her? Watch my answer. Make more friends. What will change then? But, but if I can't make more friends, it's, it's not Watch like my answer. Me. Make more friends. And if you can't do it, then you speak to an adult that will teach you how to make more friends. Okay, so I have a lot of more friends. I talk to them, but, you uh, know. Uh, uh, don't play the game on me. What's your problem? that I need to connect with more people. Close, on a very deep level. Right. So, Until um, you I, don't I want find to more that friends on that me. level, you're going to be afraid of losing them. Mm -hmm. and, and how can I prove that she likes me? 
Once you make four friends, you won't have to prove it. But I, I feel like I, I'm hesitant. I don't know why. She really goes out of my way, like really, like Good. no one I else. I want to thank you. You have been so clear. We got our idea, and now we're going to move on. Thank you for being brave to call up. And, again, I just want to remind everyone that to call up, you need to be minimum 18 years old, Merit Hashem. And if you're under 18, you need to get your parents' permission to call up. Just reminding everyone about that basic um, policy that we're doing. Great. Thank you. So you're welcome. We are going to Ms. F. Hi, you're on with Mordechai and Harav Nissen. Okay, so first, thanks so much for your line. It's so much You're so welcome. Um, my question is, I've lost a very lot. I want to know what it comes from. Could you say that again? You lost? I've lost a very lot. I want to know what it comes what? from. Well, we could understand the basic parts. Blushing means it's a body's natural response when we feel uncomfortable, when we're ashamed, when we've made a mistake. It's the body's level of responding, of telling us that we feel that. And the ways that we work on it in therapy, when someone comes on about that, is we try to do several methods. We try, number one, to do exposure. And exposure means for them to be comfortable to make more and more mistakes. So the more times you do something and the less your body will react to that. Another component is for you to recognize why you're so afraid to make mistakes. And we start identifying either it's a family, either it's an environment, either it's a perfectionist component. What can be going on that you're afraid to make mistakes so your mind should feel comfortable and safe with making mistakes? These are the general concepts, but we don't know by you what it could be by you. No, it doesn't always mean when I make mistakes. It can mean like um, even like when I ask a teacher a question or when I answer the teacher a question, I can just like blast. And Again, like so in therapy, we would be focusing on that. What were you saying? What were you doing? And so understand that generally the body does not just blush unless there is a reason. We start the awareness. Why do you think you're having that? So it's an awareness. You see, I can't tell you why. We need to develop the awareness as to why. Mm -hmm. I'm not a Navi. Uh-huh. So, so let me ask like, you, why can do you when think, I'm what are the times that you blush? Let's start looking, if you're willing to share. Tell me three times you find yourself blushing. Let's see if we can find the common denominator. Um, when I talk about an embarrassing incident that happened to me, um, when I ask the teacher a question. Good. Notice this. So let's start with what you've just said. The two levels. Number one, when you ask an embarrassing question. No, no, it doesn't have to be embarrassing. It can be any random question. Good. So when you ask a question, what do you think your body is feeling when you're asking a question? How's your body reacting? It's afraid. Why are you afraid when you ask a question? I'm not. I'm not afraid when so I ask a question. So why is your body reacting that way? So this is what we do in therapy. We help you develop. Are there any fears going on? And this is generally how we deal with it. Mm -hmm. 
So there are no answers because of this. We need to identify why is this difficult by you. Let's try the next thing, right? So you said when you ask questions, when else do you feel that you blush? Um, when I remember something that happened to me and I was embarrassed then. Okay, so let's go to the embarrassing feeling. So when you're embarrassed, you will blush. Right? Yeah. Okay. So that makes sense. What else do you find your your body that you blush? When I have a conversation with someone and it becomes awkwardly quiet. Good. Now let's assume. What do you think is going on there? It's embarrassing again. Yes. So now what we want to get your body comfortable with is to be able to have an embarrassment. We would do exposure in that, do it more time, start identifying what's your fear. So let's say you're embarrassed. What are you worried about if you get embarrassed? People won't like you. We pull you in deeper to understand what are the roots behind the matter. Mm. So it would need one-to-one. Um, -one. Um, I think it just the teacher itself might be good enough. Mm. Uh -huh. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so thank you very much. You're welcome. Excellent. So, listen, who are we going to? So, first to remind everyone of the number. The number to call up is 718-683-5858. 718-683-5858. And we go to Miss G. Miss G, Ravnison, do you want to get involved with any of the questions that we had? When I, when I have something to say, I would say. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And again, reminding everyone to please call up. The number is 718-683-5858, 718-683-5858. Just reminding everyone, please make sure that you're 18 or older to ask your question, or you could be younger and get your parents' permission, of course, as well. Good, thank you. So, Ms. G, hi, you're on with Mordechai and Harav Nissen. Hi. Okay, so um, how are you? Baruch Hashem, fantastic. Thank you for asking. No problem. So um, here's my question. I just have like a fear. I don't know if I should call it a fear, but like sometimes like I feel like very depressed. Not exactly depressed, but I feel down. Now what, what can I do to prevent such feeling? I know, I know you don't really answer questions, but um, maybe you can create an awareness. Okay, so repeat me the question again. Okay, there, it's not like I'm unhappy, I'm very happy, but still sometimes I, I can have like this down feeling, and I have like a fear. I don't, but my problem is I don't know what, what fear, fear of what. Well, let's, start, let's first recognize having a down feeling means you're normal. Let's first recognize okay. that everyone has down feelings. I have down feelings. Okay, but it's, I don't very, it's, very, it's very often. Yeah. And if I'm doing something that's not right, I'll feel down very often. 
means feeling down is a message from our body telling us we need to change something. And um, I've changed a lot of stuff, and right now, Bar Hashem, I'm doing very good, but still... Bingo! I, I don't... So you see, we don't even call feeling down depressed. Feeling down is a normal way that our brain talks to us. So, so what can I do about it? It's really nothing, because, because you know I'm very happy, and I just don't know why I feel this way constantly. I have no idea. Not like well, I, then, I don't then have. you start speaking to someone. You speak to uh, someone that understands this, either ask on him or, or it's a therapist that can help you identify what's going on. Okay, but uh, my problem is I don't really have any problems, so that's my question. Why would I feel this So way? you go in to start identifying. There are symptoms, so why are you feeling down? It's not because you're depressed. We're not calling it depressed. We're just of saying that if not. things are going well, then there should be an energy of flow. I want to yes. share with you a concept that I like from a lot of the alternative therapy modalities. It's a push okay. concept. They focus on it more. And when I do therapy, I look at it along those lines, which means I do not look at myself as someone like I create in someone happiness or our therapist in our center that we create happiness. We take away your anxiety. That's not what we do. What and we also do my is, family also that I have, like, anxiety. I don't know from what. Like, like let's not use in clinical terms because I don't believe most people have anxiety or have depression. We're using these words. You could, I would rather use the word stress and, like, you use the word down. I appreciate that. I don't like when people go around because we know now words. We use clinical words. Let's lower right. the intensity. Okay. So, so I feel very down. Uh-huh. And sometimes stress. And, and there's, no re there's no reason behind it. I'm really I not would stressed. disagree with you. If there's no reason behind it, your body would not be giving you those symptoms. Maybe you don't want to acknowledge what's behind it. Means there could be someone could be saying, I don't know why I'm nervous. Well, maybe if there are too high expectations for yourself. Maybe you're not sleeping yeah. enough. Maybe you've got to get certain good marks. Maybe you have to bring in a certain amount of money. Mm -hmm. Maybe so you don't think those should be pressures, but that's reality. Remodified. I have like a, time you exercise. I, have, I can only think of one pressure I could have. My only pressure is that my best friend is going to leave me. Remodified. Okay. Back. Yes. Go ahead, Rabbi. Let please. me jump over there because I think that uh, we, we're talking about really teenagers. Uh, you know, it's very so so normal. You know, right now we're an age. I don't know if you graduate, no graduate. You know, this the the thing that it's behind. You know, the back. And a subconscious that basically shiduchim, uh, seminary, everything that it's a new opening, and I think it's a very very normal to be so-called stressed or worried or uh, facing the unknown, and even you just feel great, you're on the top le uh, level in the world, but still you have something in front of you that you don't know what it's going to be. And this is like a very, it's, it's very, very normal in this age, I would say. Yeah. Shiduchim can be very, very stressful. But yeah. this is not the case now. Uh, is your friend starting dating? No. Okay. Everybody talking about it, I know, in the high school. Talking about this, and uh, also maybe the graduation, you know. Okay. So, but I, I, why why do I have this feeling that you're going to leave me? And whenever I say it to her or like hint her, she's like, "How the show? And why would I? 
buff, so I just have fingers I only have, like, very close only to her, so, you know. So, let me ask something else. How many other friends do you have, like, that level closeness? Probably, like, another one, too. Good. So if you have two, that should be good. So now I'd ask if you have two other friends, why is it so hard for you if she's leaving? Because it's not like, not the same level. They're also very cold, but not as cold. But you realize that good. now is the age of, you know, Change. leaving the nest and changing. That's right. It's so the age of then changing. Understood? Right. This is exactly what you're learning now, the new skill. This is when people start going to other places. This is where people start feeling one way, then the other way, feel happy, then sad. Sometimes you feel you're going to a new place, you feel excited, and all of a sudden, three weeks later, it's so hard. Or the other way around, you think, I'll never like the place, and all of a sudden, you go there, now you're doing so much better. Right. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. You got it. Thank you. We'll go to Mrs. P. Yeah. Mrs. P, you're on with Mordechai and Harav Nissen. Yeah, hi. Good evening. Thank you so much for taking my question and for all this information. I really appreciate it. Sure. My so, pleasure. I hope it's okay to ask this question. I'm asking, um, I'm taking the workshop by you. And okay. First of all, I want to tell you how much I'm enjoying it. Thank you. Okay, can I just share, maybe just share with people listening, like, what's the benefit or how things are going? Okay, so it's fascinating that you asked me, because in the beginning, I, the reason why it is interesting is because I, I'm not living with, now, with difficult, I mean, of course, on average, difficult people, but not close anymore, like, it's a lot in the past, and from the course, first of all, I'm understanding an amount of what I went through. And I see, like, I did go to therapy for a lot, so I see how much it definitely helped. And I'm finding the awareness amazing. Everything is so clear and fascinating. And even understanding that I had certain rights that I never even knew of, and I probably, like, one thing I wanted to even ask you is, how is a child supposed to even know that they have, you know, that they have these rights, these universal rights for themselves? Like, you know, as a child growing up, I don't know if, my parents was ever diagnosed with a personality disorder, but, you know, from a lot, from what you're describing, it sounds like, and I almost wish I, I would have, you know, been aware of some of my rights that, you know, then, you know, if I would have known about it then, I would have been able to stick up myself and maybe not have suffered as much. So I was wondering how, you know, the awareness could come to younger children. But I really had another question that I wanted to ask you, so I don't, you know, I don't so, know. So should. the first question that you have is I really feel good I have to address that. It's mm -hmm. more the Rabbonim and the Chinuch system. So just to share with people understanding what, you, what the rights are you're referring to, I'm referring to basic human rights that Baruch Hashem, that healthy parents are able to know instinctively or they were given it from their parents. So for example, if a kid makes mistakes, you tell them it's no big deal. You learn from your mistakes. They're not chasushalem thrown. They're not beaten. They're not shouted out for making little stuff. Another concept is that you can rely on that the father should bring in the parnasa and the mother should be having food and supper ready, not like in homes where sometimes where there's severe illnesses, where a father, and I'm not talking about where the father is learning because then he's doing his job, but where a father won't bring in parnasa or a mother will not be making supper for weeks and months. 
I know places where they're making, getting supper from all over, and no one, they're not. And part of it is a secret. Don't speak to others. Again, those are more extreme places, but these things still happen. Right. So Even not be, like being able to say no or I don't know, that is like fascinating That's right. To me. Imagine that. Imagine because people sometimes think, as you know, some of the messages I got, that people think I'm making up these concepts. Like, yes, could people imagine that there's a house with, uh, for whatever reason, the parents aren't able to give the kids their right? That if a kid says, I don't know, imagine a 10-year-old kid says, I don't know, and you don't get shouted at, screamed, hit, punished, sent to your room. Not given supper. All these things, they won't sign your homework. What about a 15 or 14-year-old kid that now is supposed to miss school because they're going to be taking care of the house, cleaning and doing all that because they don't want to bring cleaning help? What about a boy at 15 that he has to run the father's business at night when he comes home? We have the right to be kids. Now we're supposed to help. I want to be very clear. Teenagers, our job. Boys, help your father, help your mother. Girls, help the father and help the mother. That's part of a family structure. But we're talking about simple common sense health, healthy systems where parents understand, oh, you're going out with your friends. Please go out with your friends, not how will I manage. And we're not talking about once a week or twice a week. We're talking about that these teenagers could never have the rights to say, I don't know. Now, again, when we talk about this, these are levels where I'm just creating an awareness, but that's where the Rabbanim get involved. That's where the Rebbitsons get involved. Those are where teachers in school will be teaching the kids, is there anything going on? That's, that's where we need the G'daylem to get involved. Because mm-hmm. it's so and important, I, had I known to, you know, speak up or... But you would have to know how. You would still need an adult helping you, that you shouldn't have to be over on kibbutz of aim. Or sometimes speaking up, the situation could get much worse. You're only a kid or you're only a teenager. This is adult mm-hmm. issues, adult with experience issues. Right. These aren't little stuff. Like, that's exactly why my workshop teenagers are not allowed to listen to it. They're not. And mm-hmm. if you're living in the home of the complicated person, you're not allowed to listen to it. Because you might not have the ability to deal with it, it will only make you even feel worse. You might even look down at your parents when it might not be the exact situation. Mm-hmm. It's a very complicated. So you're asking, how do you deal with if someone's very ill? You as a kid, knowing this information will confuse you. Mm-hmm. You need an adult there guiding you. So the question is more, how do we get every teacher to listen to my workshop to be aware that there can be some, some very unhealthy issues going on in, in homes and that the teacher can help the students that are going through that or have them open up to them? How do we have that in the boys' yeshivas where that can be noticed and helped and worked through? How do we have Rabbanim in shuls connecting and speaking to the husbands and saying, how what's going on at home? How's things going on? How's your shalom bias? How often do you get angry or are you calm? How often is your wife happy or angry or calm? How are your kids doing? And the more we get the leaders connected, the more we connect to leaders, that will change. I don't believe giving the kids to hear their rights when mm-hmm. that's why. Not only I don't believe, that's why I don't let them sign up to the workshop. That was one of the questions. Are you living in the house of a personality disorder or a complicated person? And at the same time, are you, um, are, are you living in the house and are you under 18? We, don't, we did not want any of them taking it 
for that so reason. So how should a child know what's normal and what's not normal? That is not their job. That uh-huh. is the, that's the Mechanchim's job. That's the parent's job and the Mechanchim's job. Okay, can the I ask you another question? The child is not supposed oh. to know that. They're not supposed to know that. They're not able to know. So what do you say to this? You know that's that. This is really issue. I know that you know Parashat Shavua. We and, and I'm I'm not uh, I'm not Chasbechalia uh, talking against Yaakov Avinu. And you know what happened with Dina, and it's like something that he either in a box basically sealed her. He was afraid about her, and what what did that happen? That she went out and basically she found herself in in a, in a trap later. Nobody prepare her. Nobody come to 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 show adults, you know. I would say that it's it's a big lesson to all of us as adults, you know. Sometimes we are really taking our children for granted and putting them in a certain position that uh, we don't prepare our children and we don't give them the rights to see the the other side. And this is something that we 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 speaking about it all the time. The awareness and parents, teachers. Community leaders have to put the, the, you know, to look around, around. So many times you find yourself in the shul around you, or that some kids that are really, really don't have the the, the right adracha, the right. And you have to talk with the parents. You have to talk with 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 the, with the kids. Give some good good word to the kids. Good you know, the parents show them. So many times, many 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 of us. Don't know the way. We grow up in a certain way. We grow. Up, we are a certain time copy paste of our parents' behave, and that's what what happened. And that's why we are here on this program, Reb Mordechai and Jerut, to give the awareness to the people, to the teachers. You know how many times we find teachers that you know are giving wrong mark, giving them wrong you know words to the to the kids and just you know it's it's they taking out the frustration on the kids and we're losing it really losing it i'm a little bit changed the subject but you know that's what I'm, i'm talking about we're talking about all the time that the right of the kids to understand and to be loved and to be good uh you know uh, to be part of the family not uh, as as uh, I would say, black sheep or you know somebody that the family using the the kids. Yep, exactly. I agree with everything that you said. Great. What was the second question that you wanted okay, to bring up? Okay, I just up? was wondering if, um, from what I understand, that if someone with a personality disorder is in a lot of pain, right, and that's why they're acting like they mm-hmm. do, why can't so? Is it, like, are they still in pain at the moment? Like, let's say this pain happened in their childhood years ago, and now this person is in in 60 or 70. Is it something that, like, we could heal their pain and then they don't have a personality disorder anymore? Is it a learned behavior because they were in pain and now this is, you know, now their new behavior? In the first workshop, in the first workshop, we discussed very much the Dr. Marsha Linehan's theory about the biosocial theory. And... There are several levels to that, which means there's the biological part that states that at least she has like four components of it, but just the simple ones are that imagine 
when you get touched on a wound, on a broken arm, if someone's got a broken arm and someone touches it, you're in severe pain. Mm -hmm. A person that is diagnosed with a personality disorder, automatically the most smallest touch to them will feel as if someone feels when you're touching their bone on a broken bone. So her, one of her theories on the biological level is that A, the person is a lot more sensitive to pain. B, their baseline means when we're calm, let's say we're from a one to right, a 10. I remember 10 that you the said they're nervous. like on a four or five just to start with. That's right. right. They're on a four or five just starting. So there are biological levels as well as environmental, where they weren't taught the skills how to survive or how to manage under huge stress or under responsibility or when friends are going to be leaving them or if someone's upset at them. So when you're saying, like, is it just in their childhood or their past, it's not just in their childhood or their past. They are more stressed. They take things so much more personal. Till they calm down takes longer than others, as well as they are missing the skills. And that's what they are going to be learning during the – that's what they learn in the DBT training. So when I say they're in pain, it's not just they had a pain. They're in constant pain. They're not able to do the responsibility that we're asking of them. But why? Like, why is that pain still there? Like, let's say – Meaning Let me something's still imagine happening now. Someone to has cause... never taught you how to make breakfast. Just imagine that simple skill. Now mm -hmm. your kids wake up every single day and they want breakfast, and you don't know how to do it. Right, and it... what happens now? Mm -hmm. if your kids are getting older. Now you've got five or six kids, Kanainahara, and everyone's crying for breakfast, and you're not giving it to them. What happens when kids don't eat breakfast? Then they're kvetchy, and then I don't find this, and I don't find that. So do you see how much more stressful the environment and the situation starts growing when they're missing that skill? So I'm, that I'm still not understanding where does, the, where does the pain come from, so where's that from? Why are you focusing on the word pain? Because I, I feel like let them get rid of the pain, and then they'll get rid of their... Why are you understanding it as a word pain? Look at it different. Let's try the word skills. If someone is missing the skills how to make breakfast, do you see how every single day what will happen in that house if the kids are not eating and the mother doesn't send them out with breakfast and every single day what happens in that house? Right, there's chaos and, you know. Chaos. Now, how would they feel when there's chaos every single morning and supposedly they're supposed to know how to prevent the chaos and they can't do it? What will happen? They'll get frustrated. That frustration is what I'm calling severe pain. Mm -hmm. I hear you. And what they need to learn is learn the skills, how to do breakfast, how to deal with frustration, how to deal with anger, how to deal when you think people are upset at you and normally you shut down, how to deal when things are overwhelmed, how to deal with this inner pain that they feel so much more than others, how to deal with that severe emptiness so when they feel that they're the worst person in the world and they're not. Mm -hmm. The problem is that let's say you, you're stuck with dealing with someone who dealing with someone who doesn't want to get help. So I don't know. Like why so wouldn't someone want to why wouldn't someone want to get out of their, their frustration? They, they need to learn the skills. But imagine someone was never told you actually could learn the skills all their life. They're never able to learn the skills. So now you're having a hundred year old person start teaching them olive based skills. And remember, logically, they're very smart. It's behaviorally when they got to do it over and over that's so hard. Okay. Okay, I really appreciate it. I Wait, what really are you getting? Have... Can you just repeat it? What are you getting? 
Um, I'm getting that it's not a matter of like they're in pain right now. It's a matter of that they weren't, they were raised in an environment that was very frustrating, and then now they just they don't either they don't know they can learn the skill or they didn't learn it now, so they're still stuck so they in that. So they have now years and years of pain. And years and years of neglect and years of years of trying to get better that has never worked. They are so confident nothing will pull them out. And not only that, they need to learn the skills when every skill that they learn, they go, this is so babyish. And you need someone to almost, like the DBT is a very direct and in-your-face type method, you're going to practice this skill. And they go, but I'm brilliant all over. That's right, but at home you're not. And it's, it takes a strength to be able to learn those skills. Right. Yeah, I think also, is it part of their diagnosis a little that they don't go for help, that they don't even realize that they need the help? Well, I, I would like to phrase it differently. Imagine they go to the therapist and the therapist tells them now, okay, we know what's wrong, we've got to help you. Remember, when they're so sensitive, how do they hear those words? That there's something very wrong with them and they're crazy. That's right. And when they say, okay, it could take several months to help, they heard it'll take many years. And now they even hear the words, you're blaming me for everything going wrong. How do you even know that's my fault and not my husband's fault? They will hear things that the therapist didn't even say because it's part of the pain, the severe pain, or the way they're hearing things. That's what makes the diagnosis so complicated. Right. So then it's up to the healthy people around to learn how to deal with That's those. right, to learn how to set boundaries. Will that be part of their healing also? If Yes, very, very much so. In fact, I would say the other way around. The, from the, the times that I've seen borderlines or even narcissists get better, from my experience, it's usually when the healthier members went for therapy first. They learned how to set boundaries and learned how not to get caught up in the other person's blockages. Hey, thank you very, very much. I really appreciate the time. Uh, My pleasure. So wait, can you get involved? So what do you? Yeah, yeah. I just—it's always pop up uh, in my head the the text that we got from a person that was diagnosed, and his uh, his wife went to a three years um, therapy, and then he realized what's wrong with him, and he said, "I am a new person." Remember this text? Yes. And it's. It's it's amazing to see. We we have a case right now that's very very similar, you know that, uh, and it's I tell you it's so heartbreaking uh, that that the person that doesn't want to get any help and always blame the other side, that the spouse that that he, uh, that he or she uh, uh, that it's not a, it's not this problem. It's not his problem or her problem. It's you at the problem, and you problem, and you. I'm not going to do any therapist. I'm not going to do to no place. And what happened in the meantime? The kids are really suffering, amazingly suffering. You know, and it's 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 out. The house is chaos. The house is cannot hold. You know, and I'm trying. I I know myself trying to send the person to a therapist, not not the the, the healthy person, and it's not it's not working. It's really not working. It's something that you, everybody, all the world is blamed to blame except uh, the other the person that really suffer from this issue. And I feel so sorry for the kids.
Yes. Thank you for that, Robinson. Okay. Okay, thank you so much again. You're welcome, and thank you for joining up. Appreciate that. Okay, thank you. Okay, good night. Yes, and the number to call up and ask your question is 718-683-5858, and we look forward to taking your questions and your comments. Let us go ahead and take a question or two. Um, Thank you so much for your program, really eye-opening. Can you please explain what boundaries need to be placed on a non-mentoring, very close, not superficial relationship between a 20-year-old, very mature high school girl? So I'm not quite sure what that means. So if you're a 21-year-old, you're not mentoring. I don't know how old the high school girl is, but generally Torah Masora has got some, some levels. I can't. I think such questions need to be addressed personally and you're with your school or with the person's person's parents. Let's go ahead and see another message. Another one over here. Someone's disagreeing. I disagree with the concept of making new friends and then you'll feel less dependent on friend number one. I have more than two close friends and I love each one individually from their own beautiful personalities. If I were to lose any of them, I would not be immune just because they're others. Okay. Well, then I guess we've got to stop preparing you for life. Life is about relationships flow in and out. And the goal is as long as you've got close relationships, yes, you'll mourn the loss. Yes, you'll feel you don't have them. But that's what happens in friends. When people don't have friends, and by the way, the same happens with children, Baruch Hashem. That means when they're young, when they're literally little infants you're with them the entire time then as they get older they go to school then if it's boys they go to masiftas or to high schools wherever that should be and then they go to besmerish and they go further away and then sometimes if you're in the in the parts of kilos where they go there to stroll they leave you for a year or two then they get married then then the separation process happens if it's girls you're still with them a lot but then when they get married then that separation process happens more sometimes they move out of areas the amount of times that marriages are complicated when the husband and wife choose that they want to move to a different area, and now the parents aren't able to let go, saying, how could you leave areas? How could you leave it? Our community, we don't do that. Well, a couple needs to make their decisions, what they need to do. There's no trapping anyone, but people that can't let go and understand that that's part of the process. You can't want to have your kids there. You can't even discuss it with them, but to control and to force that, isn't healthy, and those are that those people that learn to form that balance, that up, that down, that we're close, but then relationships also separate, and sometimes they completely disconnect for years. Sometimes you have a small connection. Sometimes you can remain best friends, but but relationships fade in and out. That's how it works. Ramnissa, what do you say to this? Wait, we're not hearing you. I said you say everything. Life is really uh, nothing to add about. You know, we continue with moving from step to step, losing relationship, you know, keeping, you know, and, you know, sometimes you see people that keep relationship like from kindergarten up to the 70s. This is really very unique, but most of us, most of us, you know, just keep, continue building our uh, life, our cell, 
and continue work uh, continue further you know what's called vita you know this your, your and then you have the your kids your kids after they have the the, the new uh, son-in-law daughter-in-law and everything is building in the new puzzle we we all have disappointing we have all uh, appreciation but this part of life you know i i don't see you know this this show it's so uh, fortunately unfortunately we have a lot of teenagers that really in the step of going further more and i understand that this kind of question because everybody is sitting you know and thinking that life will stop and just continue with their friendship all over you know forever and ever but it's not like like this we are in process of always advantage as you said you know we're starting kindergarten elementary high school tifta bet midrash and you see that everything is changing. Baruch Hashem. Right. Yes, beautiful. Very, very, very well said. And the number to call up is 718-683-5858. That's 718-683-5858. Feel free to call up right now. We're looking forward to taking your questions. And your okay, comments. we'll take Miss Kay with uh, okay. parents. One second. Ms. Kay, yeah. Yes, I just wanted to add to the exact thing we were talking about just right while I was calling in. Um, I agree with both sides. I think that I agree more with your side between having more than one close relationship. Um, I think that it just brings, if you have more than one, and I don't mean just two, more than that, plural, um, brings you much more also to have be able to stand on your own feet and just not be so uh, complex and dependent on other people. Yeah. And and I appreciate with what you're saying. That means I definitely agree that it's going to be hard and painful. I've had some very good friends where the relationship faded. Either they moved out or we even had a little bit of a disagreement. And even though we made up, but we the relationship never went back to the way it was. That's part of life. But when we're getting these questions, this person is my entire life. I can't function without them. I think about them the whole time. If we won't be close, that level, generally if you have another best friend or two other best friends, you won't have that intense level. Correct. And you also, um, what the point that I was saying that I agree with her, whoever it is. Sorry, you're breaking up. Say that again. I think that I also agree with the texter that it can be, um, you do definitely feel for each one individually, but it doesn't, you're not so dependent if you only have one. You can care for all of them. It helps you. Yeah. Excellent. Okay, and I want to thank you so much for the awareness, and you got to agree with me that when he talks, he talks to such good self to every single Jewish person, I really, really thank you for that. You bring it in such warmth and such clarity. I really, really appreciate it. Arvison, that compliments to you. <laughs> thank you. Yes. And thank it's you so much for your awareness program. I really, really love You're job. welcome. I am so appreciative to your compliments and to the way you're able to see both sides, and it takes confidence to call up and to agree with me a little and to also disagree a little. And I thought that was so balanced and so healthy. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Thank you so much. Good. Thank you, Michael.
Sure. Thank you. Harav Nissen, you've sent me this message twice, and I guess we'll read it. Thank you for your awareness that parents should go for therapy if a child refuses to go. I was in this situation, and if my parents would have gone for therapy, then they would not have been so scared of my sister, and she would not have been such a monster to all of us. Now, the word monster is a strong word. But, yes, I'd like parents to know that many times they can be fantastic, wonderful parents. They really are. And I mean this directly because you see how their kids are wonderful. And that if one child can have a disorder or severe pain or gone through a certain trauma, and they just don't have the knowledge or the skills how to deal with it, that takes special knowledge, special skills. And that child that is in such pain can many times traumatize so many of the other siblings or ruin the family. That Shabbosudas now become fears. Every Simcha now becomes tragedies. All these subjects go on. And if we can recognize that by us getting that information can make big changes. Okay, Ravnison, who do we go to? We'll go to Mrs. G. Mrs. G, hi, you're on with Mordechai and Rav Nissen. Yes, hi. Um, thank you for your line and everything. Um, I would like to ask you, I uh, wonder if you can help me. I have a student that, um, as I heard in your phone line, you would probably call it, um, she will always, like, put herself into um, victim status, or she is a, a lot in that status. Yeah. As in, she would, um, let's say, if I would hand out a sheet and I would skip her desk by mistake, she would um, become hysterical, like she would really take it personal. Um, and the other student would just raise her hand and ask for a sheet, whereas she would really take it personal. Or any other small thing that any other student would do, she would always take it personal and like have tears in her eyes right away. I was wondering so if you me, could... Um, let's, uh, sure, let's develop this. What type of a kid do you think would feel sensitive? Could be several types. But let's start listening. Let's start going deeper. What do you think she's really asking for? So she really is a perfectionist, that's for uh-huh. sure. Yes. And I, um, as I observed her, that's what it sounded like. It sounded like perfectionism, which um, developed in such a way because she couldn't, she didn't get her sheet. So a second later, the girls were doing it already, and she felt like she wouldn't be able to be this perfect student student that she would want to be. So she would feel um, victimized right away. Excellent. Now, as a teacher, what can you do to help her and to teach her? That's what I was wondering if you would have any ideas. Sure, okay. Because you I should tried. think it back to me. Good. So let's try, let's then create the awareness this way first. Ravnissa, what would you say if you realize that you're training someone to, let's say, be in construction, because Ravnissa is in construction, does great work in Brooklyn and other places. He never asked me to plug his business, but those of you that are doing construction, the way he puts his heart into this program and helping Claudia that's the same way he does it for all the other, for the work that he does. So, Rav Nissen, if you have someone that you're training and all of a sudden 
you see that they're being perfectionists in everything that they're doing, that they're not able to be at ease. And they would cry right away if, if you make a mistake or if they made a mistake. What would you recommend? <laughs> this you throw the ball to me right now. It's, it's, it's tough in construction because I, I really demand the perfectionist in, in the construction. You cannot. <laughs> but uh, the things that uh, I, would, I would say, first of all, I, 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 would, I would take out the competition, uh, you know, uh, element on, the, on this, uh, you know, especially in the classroom, you know, I, the competition stuff. And I know that, uh, and try to get into this uh, person what, uh, what really going in his, in his head, you know. If you want, if something maybe is afraid of someone that uh, in the house that you want to to achieve perfectionism, you know, or is she is or afraid to come home without the the right results, it's also possible that the parents are pushing so much and create fear in the kids that uh, the kids must have this result. You know, it's good for for the shiduchim, it's good for for everything. You know that. Uh, could, could, could be the exactly. kids. So let's start. Exactly. So what Urbanus is saying is it could be a house, could be an environment that right. is expecting perfectionism and that you got to do well. What about schools? I would tell you, I had the honor, I spoke in a school. I don't want to go where, which school I was speaking at. But those that know, several teachers or principals came over to me ahead of time before I was speaking. And of course, before anyone speaks in general, you always know that they give you heads up, like what to talk about. And I was so impressed with this school where one of the principals came over to me, and you can see she's an older principal with many, many years of experience. And what she told me was, can you please speak to the teachers not to focus so much about the grades and focus on the people, focus on the kids, they should be happy. See if anyone's struggling and put them at ease. I was so impressed with that because so many times we feel like, wow, if the kids get good marks, now we know we're teaching well. Is that true? Maybe it's the other no. way around. So what I would tell you now as a teacher is, can you look that you're teaching now this girl for life? Teaching her for life means that you want her to succeed. And do you know how complicated the anxiety, and I'm not talking about the, the uh, clinical anxiety, but the perfectionists and the pressures that people have if they're raised in such an environment that they've got to do well. What happens, Merit Hashem? You get married, Baruch Hashem, kids. All that comes at the right time. But what happens if it doesn't come at the right time? What happens if the husband's job isn't the best out there? What happens if all of a sudden your kids aren't that well? Right. What happens if there's a physical or an emotional illness going on? Um, I would so say, say if I, I would have to give an underlying it. cause, not for clinical diagnosis, but for many issues out there in cholesterol, I would say this perfectionist is a big issue. Right. So how does a teacher stop perfectionism in their class? Like, so first of all, by discussing that perfectionism, discussing about perfectionism. Right. First of all, discussing no one's perfect how and I want everyone to get a 98. There is no hundreds in my class, starting off like that. Okay. Another level is I want to, I want everyone right. to. Right, I did mention to them once, like, that I like mistakes. I, I didn't know if it was really That's right. like yeah, the right way mistakes. to say it. I said well, something example, like that. 
Let's clarify, because I really don't mind if people get hundreds. I, I really don't. I'm very comfortable if someone gets 100. I think it's beautiful. But the issue that I've got is how do we start creating that? I want to hear how many times you tried and how many times you didn't succeed. Start focusing right. on sharing different stories so you could actually start t speaking to other teachers and find out which right. rub on them, which Revitsons were not successful at first. So, for example, there came out now a book about Sarah Schneer, how she started, and I was amazed to hear what was going on at those times. And I was reading it with a kid. It's special meant for kids. But you see how many times the struggle that she had to get to where she got to. Right. And sharing how so she did explain to them she once that, have done what she's you know, done. A, a mistake shows me that this girl really tried and shows me that she's human. And it shows me how well she did on the other equations. Because she made this mistake, I can see how hard she worked to answer the other ones correctly. And exactly. Um, for this girl in particular, I also explained it to her once because she had a very hard time asking for forgiveness of another girl. Um, she did something, she said not on purpose, whatever, and I told her to ask forgiveness. And she really had it hard until I explained to her that everyone could make a mistake, a teacher could make a mistake, and a principal could make a mistake. And could be your, whatever you did to that girl was also a mistake. But when a teacher makes a mistake, she has to um, excuse herself, and I mean, and she excuses herself, and everyone, like, saying I'm sorry is nothing wrong, and we all do that. But, that's um, right. That, that sounded like it also came, like, from the same idea, from the same perfectionist. So, for example, it's someone just sent us a message. Another interesting part that I wonder if you would... My daughter's teacher, third grade, said 80 till 100 is a great mark. Imagine it's all the same. But I want to realize part of the reason why marks are important is because marks show us how well we know. So it's important to get a good mark to show what you're doing. The, po the point is that it's not perfectionist. You see those that are perfect. You can just train with her saying, okay, let's clean up the room, but let's try to leave a little bit of mess and still be relaxed okay. and at ease with but that. But the funny part is that, I, that her desk was everything but perfect when I looked into it, and I was really, really shocked. It was a, a real, real mess, and I made a whole chart with her to have Just for you to know, perfectionists can be a mess in certain areas and not in others. It's where that they was need so it. Funny. And it that's was why like people don't think that they're her. perfectionists. Does it have to do with perfectionism? Yes. Like, yes, people can be could perfect be because she couldn't have a certain perfect. areas. Yes, oh. and that could then it develop. So... We all have places that we want to do better at, but there's those that are perfectionists have a real pressure. So she could have a mess she doesn't care about. could be other stuff that she doesn't care about. But all of a sudden about that area, there she becomes. So perfectionism, people have a misunderstanding, thinking perfectionists are actually perfect. They're not. They're usually not perfect in many areas. They're stressed about being So just perfect. that I should speak more um, not about not be like and about not perfect. That's right. And also discuss about yourself. Share mistakes that you have made. Mm -hmm. Today I had to do an intake on someone. It means someone comes to me for the first session and they're very closed. So I said, you know what, let's do a game. You tell me one mistake you do, I'll tell you a mistake that I have. <laughs> so they said, you know what, you go first. <laughs> so I went first with one of the mistakes I made today.
That person mm-hmm. said, that doesn't count. I said, okay, so then give me an idea. And I was able to share one mistake, and they did one. And by the time we're done, we got some pretty good ideas. So, so should I, sometimes you, so you have to leave. you I do it in general, like to the whole class? I shouldn't, I shouldn't. Yeah, um, can you share with everyone? And... You know, I wanted to mark everyone's mark, but I couldn't do it. I did six or seven of them, and I really had a mind to. But that's how I learned to let go. So instead of being stressed, I did it the next day. Or I, or I told the kids to do something else to help out. So the kids weren't, the house wasn't taken care of that well. But then I marked the marks every night. Or I marked it that night. Or, or today, we have a very good, uh, very good lesson. But be aware that normally I spend an hour preparing. Today, I only spent 40 minutes. Or, and the other way as well. Some days I can prepare an hour. Today, I was able to put in an hour and 30 minutes preparing. Oh. And then should I, um, I was thinking if it would be right, like, to catch her on a sec, like, the second before she starts, um, let's say, um, crying about a mistake that she did. Let's say um, she didn't find the page, and and she's, before she even got, gets frustrated for me to point it out, that, like, wow, Ruhi, um like, something like... Um, in the opposite direction, like to give her the positive feedback that she didn't find the right page, but she still... Um, yes, you could do that as well. Sure, you could highlight when they're more relaxed, the more chilled, the more at ease, definitely. That, yes, that, for her to, fee, for her to um, um, get the idea of it. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. We really all You're see welcome. your line, and it's amazing. I, I'm, I'm honored. I appreciate it. Reminiscent, you know what? Let's take one more. We know we've got two people on. We'll just, because of time-wise, we'll take one more person. Okay, we'll go to uh, the longest one, uh, Miss R. Miss R, thank you for holding so long. And um, you're on with Mordechai and Reminiscent. Hi, thank you so much for your program. I really appreciate it. I was just wondering, um, I came in the middle when you were talking about DBT um, and Marshall Lenheim. Now, is it, is it, uh, the way you made it, like, the way I understood from the presentation, it sounded more like it's just used for people with borderline personality disorder. But um, I was just wondering, could it be used for anyone? Absolutely. So let's first understand, I just like people to, to get an idea what happens. You know, let's say I wrote a book. So it took me time. I wrote a book. It was published. To get a method in therapy proven that it works for a certain area or certain clientele isn't simple. It means you need to have randomized testing. That means you need to train someone in the system. You need to have, let's say you need to have 10 people that have all the symptoms of borderline or diagnosed with borderline, and then you've got to treat it with DBT, with CBT, with three or four other methods of modalities, and then seeing the results on short-term, let's say after a month, after six months, after a year, after two years, and you want to see what results help. Then you still got to put into that, into that criteria, are they on medication or are they not on medication? That it then can change everything. Right. Now, what happens is, and hold on, then you go into different ages into these populations. So in order to get a real study as to what is happening by someone, that if a system or a method works, can take sometimes years to get it proven. And mm-hmm. even if a method does work in one area, 
you want to know if it works in other areas. You can't just say, oh, it works here, it works there. I just want you to realize, for those listening, the difference of when something is a Hamish Amatsev, where we're just getting together, yeah, it works for this, it works for that. In the professional studies, in order to say something works for an area, so let's say, does it work for borderline personality disorder? And does it work with a narcissist personality disorder? Very different, still called personality disorders, but a different diagnosis. You will not say that it works in the professional world. Now, DBT has been proven, and they are using that for people that suffer from anorexic, from anorexia. Now, anorexia does not necessarily mean bulimia, does not necessarily mean um, binge eating. But they are using right. that in you know, many of the hospitals. They are using that for several different places that the skills are very, very powerful. And to be aware that also DBT, dialectical behavioral therapy, has a large component of it, which is CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, which has studies of thousands of people for over 30, 40 years proving the efficacy that it works on many different, in many different levels. Hmm. So what I'd like you to realize is that DBT is great, and I use some of those skills with clients that don't even need DBT. So now, I know it's CBT. changed my life. I, I, I've taken DBT. I'm currently still studying it, and I have yeah. a long way to go to actually really completely internalize it. But, um, like, I was just listening, and I'm like, no, I'm not borderline personality disorder. I was just, like, wondering, you know, what, you know, what what it was that, you know, everyone keeps on saying that, you know, DBT is, is – it, you associate it with borderline personality disorder. So let me That's also reassure patient. you why it's not just right now. They have gotten many great grants from the United States to teach mm -hmm. DBT in high schools because mm -hmm. they are finding that high school students are missing many of the basic life skills of how to go through transitioning. When you get angry, mm -hmm. how do you balance the emotions? When you start having that negative thinking, you'll never get better. How do you learn those skills? And they're starting to get into high schools. It is not yet coming, unfortunately, to the from schools. Maybe me talking about it. Some of the schools will start looking into how to get the grant for that. But, yes, yeah. imagine we can, just like we're now aware in the from world, that there's a concept called social skills, and sometimes some people can be socially off and learn those skills. DBT is a very powerful social skills, how to interact with others, and especially the emotional regulation, how to deal with your emotions, how to identify the emotions what to do when you're feeling overwhelmed. These are amazing skills. How to start using calmness, the, the calming, the self-soothing systems. It's a fantastic system. And when you're furious, how to be able to calm yourself down within 30 seconds or at least yeah, you shouldn't so I act find, on that anger. So I find that the most helpful skill for me is like when that happens with my children is I just dunk my head in ice water. And I That's find right. it really works. Well, I haven't found right. anyone Changing else use that yet. That's right. That's a tip skill. Right. I'm just wondering now. I just wondering. Could you give me any advice on how to continue with my homework? Because I kind of just slacked off, and I do understand That's that part most of your of therapist's job means if a therapist we know we're trained in the DBT. If you do not take, if you do not ask for the homework, they won't do it. If you don't tell them you don't do your homework, you're not in the group, or you can't come to the next session, they will do it. Really? DBT, the way it's taught, is a very behavioral level. You do the job. In fact, I like the skill that I heard from my trainer. He, told, he told, taught it to us as follows. He goes, DBT is a 50-50 workshop, means skill. The therapist has to put in 
and the client has to put in 50%. If the therapist puts in 100%, it will not work. If the client puts in 100%, it will not work. So here's where we put the client responsible. We are only putting in and we're only allowed to put in 50%. If you do not put in your other 50%, your part, we will not be successful and we will not continue. So what do you do if my therapist is not doing that? <laughs> then tell the therapist, I need you to be a bit more assertive on me. The minute you don't push me or hold me to it, I'm not doing it. And I really know it will benefit if I do it. Well, before, what happened was they kept on saying that I'm doing too much homework. So they wanted Good. me to and come back. And now you're going to learn. So they have another skill called walking the middle path. Right. Learning the balance. Okay. I appreciate it. I will bring that up next class. Thank you so much. And I appreciate you from last time you had answered a question about mine about uh, support groups being led with a therapist or not. And um, I'm actually working now on creating a support group for mothers uh, that had grown up in a, you know, child emotional neglectful environment. With, and I actually found the therapist to run it. So that will be very helpful. Fantastic. You know, just, uh, Great. And you so definitely want right. a licensed therapist. When, right. when you're dealing with such a with such a with such an issue, there's a lot of emotions that can be brought up. No, it's really just to, so we could just make sure we're doing the best we could for our children. So this way, we to ensure That's that right. you know. That's right. But what I want to identify is that when you have people that come from an emotionally neglectful home, emotions can be triggered, and you want a licensed therapist that has knowledge and skill in how to run such a group. So what type of therapist am I looking for? I'm just curious. Anyone that's the one I found that has, has some experience in group work. Oh, in group they, work. They okay. groups, they do groups, anything along those lines, but they need oh, some okay, knowledge fine. and experience in groups. Okay. Yes, she does. Okay. Thank you so much for your program. I really You're enjoy welcome. listening. Thank you for that. Okay, Arvnissen. Well, we are <clears throat> over time, big time, yeah. and we still have some phone calls, but uh, I told the... the people to uh, next week. Merit Hashem. Excellent. Hashem. Thank Merit you. Hashem. Thank you, Ramon Chai, and all the best. Excellent. And let's... Yes, Hatzlacha. Have a wonderful evening. Amen. Thank you. Okay. Be well. Call <laughs> to.